Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to the inaugural episode of the Lay the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps, alongside my co-host here, Jordan Chirot. Jordan, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Can't wait to get this started. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, man. We've been talking about wanting to do this for a long, long time. We're finally getting getting this up and going, and it's a pretty good time to do it. Uh, so first, I wanted to give uh, all of our listeners just a little bit of a background on on us, you know, and and who we are and why we are such big sports fans and, and what this show is really going to be all about. I've been working in the sports and entertainment industry for about the last 20 years. I worked in the casino business the first handful of years and ultimately took a job at Fox Sports about 10 years ago, worked alongside Jordan while we were there. And, uh, you know, I worked in a lot of different roles at Fox, worked at NFL Network. Now I'm writing, covering sports as well. Uh, so kind of a varied, very wide, diverse background covering all sports. And pretty much my whole life has just been a massive, massive sports fan uh, across the whole spectrum. Yeah, my background is um, I basically grew up a sports fan since I've been about five years old. And um, I always wanted to work in sports. And uh, I was lucky enough to get that started at the NFL Network as a production assistant, kind of got my feet wet there. And I uh, worked there for a few years, which was awesome because I'm a huge football guy. And then I was able to take um, um, an opportunity over at Fox Sports uh, with a lot more broad uh, range of sports, which was really cool. Major League Baseball, hockey, basketball, college basketball. And then from there, I went over to the Rich Eisen show um, where I'm a uh, television editor. I don't know if you know Rich Eisen, but he is the host of uh, NFL Network. So we basically talk NFL football 24-7 year round. So um, it's just been just an awesome opportunity to um, just to be in sports for almost 20 years now. Kendall and I have talked about doing wanting to do a podcast for a long time now. And um, so I'm just so excited to bring our knowledge together and collaborate and um, and uh, win everyone money because that's what this podcast is all about. Win everyone money. And I'm um, just having fun talking sports, two guys talking sports. Exactly. And so I think like, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk and it's, it's easy to look at NBA and NFL when we're talking lines, but this show is going to be very diverse. We're going to have different fun segments. We're going to talk about odds on the Australian open, or, or we're going to break into some tennis or some golf and, and things that, you know, where there is opportunities to make money. I want to spread that knowledge. I I've been following baseball, basketball, hockey, football, tennis, golf, soccer, boxing, mixed martial arts, you name it since I was a child. And so I feel like I would be doing a disservice to everyone if I didn't share some of that knowledge and insight to allow you, the listeners, to be able to take advantage and maybe make a little coin and have some fun in the process. So so with that being said, uh, you know, I, right now, I think the the hot topic is we're in the middle of March Madness. We're looking at one of the biggest, most impressive final fours on paper that you've arguably ever seen. It's four blue bloods, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova. Uh, they have what 11, 17 national titles between the four schools. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy uh, 
uh, March Madness. I mean, it is every single year, but um, it just some incredible uh, history of, of schools that are in there now, and uh, just some incredible runs by you know the uh, the fairy tales uh, story. Well, and Jordan, have you heard what uh, NBC has done? You know, St. Peter's, who's been the darling, the Cinderella of the tournament this year. I didn't even know where St. Peter's was. Uh, I mean, I know where most schools are. I had heard of St. Peter's, but had zero idea where that school actually was. Apparently, it's in New Jersey, um, which helped them since they were just playing uh, really nearby over the weekend. Uh, so they actually got a decent fan base there. They've obviously been the the big, big Cinderella story of the whole tournament. I mean, the clock struck midnight. And it's funny, Shaheen Holloway, their their head coach or former head coach. Uh, you know, I feel bad for his kids. You could tell how devastated they were. They were that close to making the final four. And, you know, they became the first 15 seed to even reach the Elite Eight. That's how impressive they were. And I, I guess there, there are reports that Shaheen Holloway is already going to be taking the job over at Seton Hall. So that's got to be a really weird, awkward locker room afterward because the news broke pretty soon after that game that he was heading to Seton Hall. Uh, I can't imagine being one of those kids. It's got to be a weird feeling knowing you just went through all this with your coach and he's already dipping out. Yeah, I wish that was just they didn't you know, make that so known right away and just kind of let them absorb. Yes. I you agree. Know, I defeat really a little bit. Really yeah. But you know, that's, that's just how sports work. Yeah. Unfortunately. And of course the other big topic, right? Like coach K, like this is his final oh, go yeah. round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how it ended in the regular season, you'd think that, like his last game going against UNC and losing, you were just like, night, oh, yep. no, it can't end like this for him. And he did, he did not seem too pleased about it after the game. Um, but now he has a chance cause they split the series um, this year. So now they have a chance to, you know, have that final knockout blow on, on their arch rival UNC. Um, currently the over under on this game is one fifty one. Duke is favored by minus four. What do you think about the game? Bet online has those odds. And, you know, I, I think a lot of the money early on is going to flood toward Duke. Uh, you know, they're obviously the emotional favorite. A lot of people are going to be pulling for Coach K or, you know, there's a lot of passionate dislike for Duke. They're the Yankees of college basketball, so to speak, um, or at least they're they're viewed that way by a lot of people. So I think a lot of the money to, early yeah, on. Cause, yeah, because people so, love to hate on Duke. Yes, Just like exactly. people love to and hate on the like Yankees. That for a long time. My wife really, really dislikes Duke a lot. Um, but even she has found herself. I, I don't think she's admitted that she's rooting for coach K, but she's happy to see him doing well in the tournament because it's his final run. Um, but yeah, so I think a lot of the money is going to, it's going to float in on Duke, especially early on, but I'll tell you what, give me the four points. Give me North Carolina, the way this team is playing right now, when they beat Duke, at Cameron Indoor to find on senior night to finish the regular season. They, I, I feel like their team, they took on a new life. It's because it, all season this, this year, this hasn't been their, your typical North Carolina team. Normally they're built with all these bigs download. They just dominate you in the paint. They don't hit free throws very well. They, they're a well-balanced team. They have a bunch of different kids that could score. They have four different guys that could score 25 on any given night in Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Armando uh, Baycott, and uh, Brandy Manick. All four of them, three of them can shoot from the outside. Baycott is a behemoth monster down low. So th they might be the most balanced team. I, I guess you could probably also say Kansas is pretty well-balanced as well, but, but 
the way that they're playing right now, I feel like I could see the storybook ending of Coach K losing his final game to his arch rival. That, that story just sounds like it's going to happen. So knowing you can get four points with it as well, if you go on North Carolina side, that that's where I'm going. I'm, I'm taking the points. I'm going to disagree. I, I'm, I'm going to take Duke, but I do think it's going to be a close game. It's, it's definitely going to be a nail biter, but um, I, I just think the emotional advantage with, with, with coach K is, is just going to put them over the top. And I think they're going to win this game, but I, probably think they're going to win the whole thing. Like I'm picking Duke to win it all. You know, it's crazy. Duke really, they're playing their best basketball right now as well. Uh, Of uh, the best basketball that they have played all season right now. And it's hard to pick against them. They do have that emotional advantage. There's so much going into this, but it's, I mean, it's historic. We're, we're finally seeing Duke North Carolina in the tournament for the first time. That's unreal to think of, but they've never played in the tournament. And Duke has done an incredible job this in this tournament in big moments in the final four or five minutes. When they get to that under four timeout, seemingly every game, they take it to another level and no one's been able to match them. But one thing, and it's one of the reasons why I like North Carolina in this game. The last couple games for Duke, they were playing Texas Tech, who's built on defense, hard-nosed defense, rebounding, physicality. Arkansas, a lot of the same. They have a couple shooters that Texas Tech doesn't have. They were a better offensive club, but they're still a hard-nosed defensive grinding team. Whereas North Carolina wants to get up, up and down the court. They can run with you. They can score with you. Oh, and by the way, they have Armando Baycott, who just tied... Uh, Tim Duncan's ACC record for tw- with his 29th double-double this year. The dude is a machine. He was the first guy in an Elite Eight game to put up a 2020 game in, in the Elite Eight since Hakeem Elijah won in 83, back with the Houston. Like, he, he's doing historic things. So, like, I, I just feel like this North Carolina team poses so many different challenges that Duke hasn't seen yet, um, or at least in the tournament. They obviously have seen them twice during the regular season. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think for for those reasons, I, I like the points. Do you think this is going to be one of the biggest hype college basketball games like ever for March Madness? It it might be the biggest. This might be the most anticipated college basketball game because even even the Duke Kentucky game back in '92 with Leitner, like everyone remembers that game. That's like maybe the most memorable game when people think of March Madness, or it's certainly one of them. And it's because of how it ended. But going into that, yes, there was tons of hype. It was Kentucky and it was Duke and it was two of the Blue Blood programs. But Duke at that point wasn't Duke of today. They, they hadn't become a national power at that point. Now we have Duke, North Carolina, 11 national titles between them, finally playing, you know, Michigan, Ohio State and college football, biggest rivalry in that sport. Red Sox, Yankees, biggest rivalry in, in baseball. Duke, North Carolina is the biggest rivalry in college basketball. I don't think there's anyone that's going to deny that. And for us to get them playing in the tournament for the first time ever, being when it's Coach K's final season in the final four, it, it's just, you can't write this. It's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a great game. So you're taking plus four UNC and I'm taking Duke minus yeah. four. And, and if I had to lean somewhere on the over-under, I, I think there's going to be plenty of points to be scored in this game. Both teams will hit some free throws as well at a, at a pretty high clip. I'd take the over if I had to, but I, I prefer just going, take North Carolina, give me the points. 
Okay, second game we have is uh, number one seed Kansas minus four against number two seed Villanova. Over under for that is one thirty three. Yeah, I mean, I, I think again a lot of the money is probably going to be flying on Kansas, especially with the news that Justin Moore it looks like tore his ACL. I believe he's going to be out for the rest of the tournament. Uh, that, that's such a big blow to J. Roy, J. Wright and Villanova's Villanova's team, the Wildcats. You know, but I, I something tells me that Villanova, despite all that, is still going to cover and might win this game outright. And I know Kansas is playing also extremely well coming into this game. And you can make the argument they've played as well as anyone in the tournament thus far. But, you know, Jay Wright always has his team prepared. And I, I think that even though, and they have a short rotation, Nova only typically plays six guys and then a seventh and eighth might get a couple minutes in there. He's going to have to shuffle quite a bit with losing Justin Moore and a, a few more guys are going to have to play minutes. They're not accustomed to playing, but Jay Wright is such a master of putting people in the right position to succeed. They have the big East player of the year. I, I think they're going to make the plays they have to make. And defensively they're, they're going to take over the game late. They hit their free throws. If they hold a lead late, they're, they're going to win the game. They, they set the NCAA record in free throw percentage this year, uh, Villanova did. So if this game is close late and there's some foul trouble, I love Nova's chances of being able to finish it off. But at the very least, with four and a half points, I'll take Jay Wright in the points. I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm taking Kansas, minus four and a half, mainly because they're the lone number one seed left. Uh, probably the most balanced team so far. Uh, in the nation, and they've been the most dominant in the tournament. Also, the fact that Villanova is not very deep. Um, they mostly only play about seven players. Now with more down, they're going to be down to a six-man rotation. So, barring any foul trouble, they might be in a lot of trouble. Like also, Kansas was 144th in free throw percentage to 72.7%. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just going to go <laughs> with the favorite. Um the number one seed, it's so hard to pick against a number one seed, especially how they're playing. I know the Villanova story with Jay Wright, but um, if I'm going to put my hard-earned dollars into this game, I am going to take Kansas minus four and a half. It's, it, it's hard. I'm definitely battling, fighting uphill, taking Villanova. That The Justin Moore injury is, is certainly a big, big impact and storyline heading into this game. And Kansas, I grew up, when I was young, I was a big Kansas fan. So I, by no means is this hating on Kansas. I love the Jayhawks. They've always been one of my favorite schools to root for. Um, but yeah, there's just something about Jay Wright at this time of year. You know, it's their third Final Four in the last six years. Each of the previous two, they won the national title. They just, he, he always has his kids prepared. And I think he's going to find a way to do it again. But, you know, we shall see this weekend. It should be a lot of fun. Well, you know what's a really good based on like you know thinking about Villanova is the odds to win the national title. This is like if you're going to go on all on Villanova, right now they're plus six hundred to win the national title. So that's yeah. really good odds. So if you're feeling them, then maybe this is a good time to just do it now and just pick them right now at plus six hundred to win the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there's value there. Uh, with them being the longest shot. Uh, but that, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen what the lines would have been if Justin Moore did not get injured in the final minute of the game 
yesterday. It, it would have been really, or over the weekend, it would have been very interesting to see. They wouldn't have been close to a plus 600. More than le- more than likely, they're somewhere in the range of plus 250. I think that probably would have negatively impacted Duke's odds. Kansas, like everything shifted when he got hurt. So Duke is plus 40 to win the tournament currently. Kansas plus 180. North Carolina plus 500. And then Nova at plus 600. If I'm going to bet on anyone, I think I'm going to go Hubert Davis in North Carolina. I'm still getting premium odds, but but that it's hard. It's going to be really, really difficult without Justin Moore to win twice. I think winning winning once, I'd love him to cover against Kansas. I don't know if they win the game, but i love him to cover. But to be able to pull it off twice would be really, really difficult. Uh, UNC, I just, again, I, I love the way they're playing. I love the depth that they have, and they have so many different guys that can beat you on any given night. So I feel like at plus 500, that's probably the best bang for your buck. Let's jump into some NFL. Wow, what an offseason. One of the craziest offseasons ever, right? It, it's got to be the craziest. Off- every day, every day there was a new massive trade or a free agency signing into another club. Like the AFC, I've never seen a conference load up so much and it makes perfect sense why Tom Brady came out of retirement. Cause he realized he's like, wait a minute, there's no one in the NFC, but the Rams. And if anyone knows how difficult it is to go back to back, it's Brady. He's the last guy to do it in Oh three Oh four with the Patriots. No team has done it since. So as good as the Rams are, you know that it's going to be really, really difficult for them to get back there. So knowing that, who else is there in the NFC? So so Brady's laughing in the NFC. He's going to have a good old time playing some really, really bad teams. Meanwhile, the AFC is unbelievably stacked. Yeah. Like, ridiculous. Like, anytime uh, a team in the AFC made a move, another counter of another AFC West team would make a move. And yep. then another yep. one. And it was crazy. Like, it's like... This, you know, because last year everyone talked about was, you know, or a lot of people talked about was the NFC West and how tough that division was with the Rams and the 49ers and the Cardinals and the Seahawks. Now everything is the AFC West. And let's just talk about some of the the moves here. Okay. So the Chargers made a big move, which they traded for Khalil Mack. I think something for like a fifth round pick, like something crazy, um, which is a no brainer move. And they got him. And then they signed the guy I wanted because I'm a 49er fan. I wanted uh, J.C. Jackson, but he made a signed a very, very big deal uh, to sign with the Chargers. So they got him. The Raiders, <laughs> one of the biggest – I mean, like I couldn't believe it actually happened because I didn't think he was going to leave Green Bay. But uh, they somehow traded for Devontae Adams with like second-best receiver. Some would argue the number one receiver in the NFL. Yep. So they got him. Another guy I really wanted was Chandler Jones, one of the most <laughs> underappreciated pass rushers in the NFL. This guy does not get the love that he deserves. He is just 10 sacks last year, multiple, like double digit sacks, literally every single year that no one talks about. I think he's going to make a major, both of those players are going to make a major, major impact on that team. Why don't you go ahead and talk about the other two AFC West teams? Well, yeah. So, like you said, once one team made a move, then it seemed like another one did. The Broncos shook up the NFL world when they traded for Russell Wilson. Everyone knew that they had arguably one of the better rosters in the league last year, but they were missing a a signal caller that could make a difference. And then they go out and trade for Russell Wilson. And then they steal, they poach Randy Gregory, one of the more talented uh, pass rushers in the NFL. Albeit there's always been some off-season issue or off-the-field issues and, and some other things that, that he's been uh, dealing with. But when he's on the field, there's no arguing that he's one of the better pass rushers in the league. 
So to be able to put him along with Bradley Chubb on that defensive line uh, and knowing what the offense should have, like the Broncos obviously made some big upgrades. And then the last team in the division, it appeared that they were just standing pat watching all these teams surpass them, at least maybe in talent, was the Kansas City Chiefs. And then they actually trade away Tyreek Hill for, granted, they fleeced the Dolphins for five draft picks. A wide receiver got them five draft picks. It's, it's quite the haul. Um, but, you know, their hopes in replacing him apparently, I don't know if their plan is to look into the draft and go grab guys there, or do they really expect Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling to fill the, the void left by Tyreek Hill? I hope not. No, I don't think so. Yeah, like, I think they're going to just kind of run the offense through Kelsey like they usually do. And then I think they just believe that Patrick Mahomes can make, just like Rodgers, he can make any receivers good regardless. It, and here's the thing. Like, I, I give Mahomes the benefit of the doubt. He is easily one of the most talented quarterbacks I think any of us have ever seen. I don't think anyone can deny that. But Tyreek Hill was such a game breaker for that offense. Like MVS can run fast and run deep, but he's a one trick pony. That's pretty much all he does. He has it below a 50% catch rate throughout his entire career with Aaron Rodgers, also a hall of famer at quarterback two time league MVP at quarterback. And his catch rate was still under 50%. He's never had more than 38 catches in a season. He's not the kind of guy that you can just throw the ball to in the flat. And then he's going to make four guys miss and turn it into a 70 yard touchdown. That's not what he's going to do. And Juju Smith, I mean, Smith-Schuster, he's a good receiver, but it's been a couple of years since he looked anything close to what he was looking like a few years ago. Part of that is injury-related. Also, Big Ben had a noodle for an arm, couldn't throw the ball more than 10 yards accurately down the field, so I'm sure that didn't help as well. But I don't, he's also, he doesn't have game-breaking type speed, so I, I have to imagine that the Chiefs are going to strongly address the wide receiver position at the draft. Yeah, I... I would think so. Um, I mean, this draft is is very pass rusher heavy. Um, so if you want a good pass rusher, but they do definitely have some receivers mixed in. You can always try to probably find one late. Right now, the AFC West odds to win the division. Kansas City is still the big dog, plus 160. The Chargers next at 250. Denver at 250. And the Las Vegas Raiders at 650. I feel like the Raiders are being a bit disrespected and like, now, I'm not begging them to win the division, but for them to have, I mean, it's probably worth, to, hey, just throw a few bucks on on Vegas just in case because uh, talent alone, the, I mean, they were a playoff team last year and they got significantly better. And to be able to pair Max Crosby with Chandler Jones, who you said, Chandler Jones, one of the most under underappreciated pass rushers and also the epitome of Bill Belichick one of his few failures was letting him go because he thought he was done. He, you know, he usually lets guys go a, a year too soon and then they fall off. And he did that with Richard Seymour. Seymour went and had a one good year with the Raiders and then fell off a cliff. Chandler Jones has gone on to become a blossoming star and is the franchise all-time leader in Arizona now in sacks. And he joins Max Crosby on that line. So I think there is some value to be had with the Raiders at plus 650. But if I'm going to, place any significant money I like Denver to win that division I think last year between their offensive and defensive lines they they were 
among the better lines in football. They have good running backs. They have a stable of wide receivers. Jerry Judy is a very, very good receiver. Cortland Sutton's a former pro bowler who just needs someone that can get him the ball. And Tim Patrick as a third is pretty solid. Uh, so like they have guys on the outside. They didn't have a quarterback that could take advantage. And now you bring in Russell Wilson, Super Bowl winning quarterback, took a team there twice. We know what he's capable of uh, in, in the ability to lead an offense. And he was just dying in Seattle, having to do so much by himself. And he had receivers, but there were so many missing parts on that team. He joins a roster that's ready to win now that also has a good defense. But to me, one of the key characteristics of of this team, and it's why I like Denver at plus 250 to win this division, unlike the Chargers and Chiefs, not only do they have the ability to run the football consistently, which neither the Chiefs or Chargers do effectively. The Chargers still run it, but not as effectively, but they have the willingness to run it even when they're not running it effectively. When the Chiefs lost to the Bengals in the AFC Championship, they were facing three-man boxes and refused to run the football. It was unreal to watch. You you do that against Denver, their their young kid, Williams, is going to tear you up. They, they're, they are going to run the football. So now you have Russell Wilson, this is probably going to be the best run game he's had since his Marshawn Lynch days to go with those receivers and that defense in Denver and that secondary in Denver plus 250. I like it. Give me the Broncos. How about you? I mean, like I'm going to take a 250 team, but I'm going to take the Chargers and uh, <laughs> two, <laughs> two words. Justin Herbert, this, this guy is inc- just incredible and he gets better every single year. So he is going into his third year. It's going to give you some, some, some stats uh, behind my, my reasoning here in his rookie year he had the most td passes 31 and 396 most completions uh in his first year in 2021 5014 yards second best in the nfl 38 touchdowns third best in the nfl 9350 yards is the most passing yards in the first two years in nfl history for a quarterback he had 839 completions most completions uh through the first two years for a quarterback which is an nfl record Unfortunately, with all those completions in 2021, he had the second most drops by his wide receivers uh, with 46 second most behind Tom Brady. So he needs his receivers. He needs his receivers to catch the ball. So he has Mike Williams coming back. He just signed a new deal. They have uh, Keenan Allen coming back. He's always um, his number one uh, target. I like their head coach, Brandon Staley, but I don't like some of his decisions going forward on fourth down too much for my liking. Um, I think it cost him a couple of games, just the aggressive nature. I know that's how the NFL is now, like just to go for it. But, you know, and they always say, oh, like I love the confidence in that coach. But in some some situations, you, like you either have to kick, kick the field goal or get better, you know, put, you know, pin them deep. The Chargers, they're extremely talented. And I think this is going to be their year. I, I think the Chiefs are going to drop off. And I think the Chargers are going to um, step over them this year. And they're going to... Uh, they're going to win a very, very tough AFC West. And I've had to, like as a 49er fan, I've had to deal with watching Russell Wilson just, like I call him a magician. Like all he does out there is just make plays all over the field. And I think he's going to absolutely thrive in Denver. But that division is is really, really tough. But I am going to take the Chargers plus 250 just based on Justin Herbert just getting better. Like I think he's just going to get better. I think he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in, you know, like the next couple of years, I think he's going to be one or two. Yeah. I mean, I can understand the case being made for the chargers. You touched on the only reason I couldn't quite go there. And that's Brandon Staley. 
Uh, I think he he probably is a very good coordinator, but to be the head man, you know, there, there's something to be said for aggressiveness in the NFL and all the new analytics that everyone talks about. And I understand that aspect of it. But one thing the analytics don't take into account because it's all it's a formula. It's just numbers you put in a machine and it spits out and says you should be going for this. You shouldn't be going for this. It doesn't take into account context in situations of football games. I'll give you an example. The game against the Chiefs, the second game against the Chiefs uh, in which they lost, and they easily should have and could have won that game. He went for it on fourth. Now, the last like five times, it was fourth and 10, and Herbert just kept on slinging and completing passes. Complete uh, To your point on how great Herbert is, I I think he might be... For the next 15 years, top three quarterbacks in the league. That's so I, I totally believe in Herbert as well. But yeah, I just don't have that faith yet in Brandon Staley. And until the Chargers find a way to not stub their own toe, remember this is the organization that lost a playoff game because they kicked a penalty flag to get another penalty flag. Uh, sorry, Chargers fans, for bringing that up, but th- that happened. I, you have to look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. It was a playoff game against the Jets about 15 years ago. Unreal. Uh, you know, so the way that they've always found ways to get in their own way of their success until I see it, I just can't bet on it. And because of that and all the other reasons that I like Denver so much, I'm going to go with Denver. But yeah, it should be a lot of fun watching that division. Let's talk uh, NBA and let's talk some Eastern Conference because I know you're a huge Boston Celtics fan. So uh, go at it and give me some <sighs> Celtics facts. What's going I, I've on? I've been so excited watching this team the last couple months. No one has been paying any attention. Meanwhile, since the turn of the calendar to 2022, they are not only the best defensive team in the NBA, they are miles ahead of Memphis, Golden State, and Phoenix, who are second, third, and fourth uh, in that category. And across the board in all defensive metrics, and they're plus minus on the season now. They, they lead the whole Eastern Conference. Finally, people are recognizing that they're a really good basketball team now that they made it to the top of the East. They're tied for the one seed currently. It's actually the latest in an NBA season, in NBA history, for a team to take over the overall number one seed in a season. It, we're in game 75 of the season, and they just took over the top spot. And the moment they do, they get struck with what I have to sadly guess is a death blow the news on robert williams this morning he has a a torn meniscus in his knee he's going to miss the rest of the regular season likely the rest of the entire season and he's one of the most important players on this team he has grown up a lot this year he's second in the nba in blocks behind rudy gobert at 2.2 a game uh he's uh, he's in the conversation for defensive player of the year he wasn't going to win it but he was in the top five, along with teammate Marcus Smart as well. Um, and it's it's such a big blow to a Celtics team because I was so excited watching them just crush teams. They're not just beating good teams. They they beat the Nuggets by 20, the Jazz by 20, the Nets by 30, uh, the Sixers by 35, uh, the Warriors by 20. Like They're hammering all of the best teams in the NBA over the last two months. And now they just lost one of the most important pieces for the year. So as much as I love my C's, ultimately I think that's it's going to be too much to overcome for a team that is so dependent upon their defense. Yeah, they're playing some really, really good basketball right now. And then going down the list, uh, Bucks at 300, 
The Nets are at 300 as well um, because they're basically eliminated from the from getting the number one seed. Yet they're tied for the best odds. Uh, the Sixers at 460, the Heat at 500, and um, the Chicago Bulls. They were had a uh, had kind of a, a crazy off season um, with DeRozan, and um, it, it was paying off. And he was playing at an unbelievable level, like averaging what 35 a game and I, I don't know how many games, like 12, 13 in a row. So what what do you think about the Bulls? It's crazy. Yeah, I look at their odds. So you you go down, there's six elite teams in the Eastern Conference, right? There's Boston, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, uh, Milwaukee, um, Miami, and Chicago. And yet, five of them have respectable odds, you know, anywhere ranging from plus 300 to plus 600 or so. And then you have the Bulls, who were the the top seed for half of the season in the Eastern Conference, and they're at plus twenty seven hundred. Um, that's that's astounding. I feel like for value alone, I would put a little bit of money on that. Like, you want to know why they were like, like I think I saw a stat. They were like zero and twelve against top zero and sixteen Eastern. against the Suns, the Warriors. Um, they haven't beaten the best teams, and once people realize that, yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's that's the exact reason why. Um, but still, it's plus twenty seven hundred. You know, for a team that's as good as they are, that's as talented as they are, I think it's worth throwing a few bucks on. But if I had to to bet uh, on who I think comes out of the East, I'm taking Milwaukee. I want the defending champs. I, I get that the Nets have Kyrie able to play every game now. Simmons maybe maybe doesn't come back. We don't know. But the Bucks are still elite defensively. They have maybe the best all around player in the world in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, they have that championship experience now. They know how to step up in big games. Chris Middleton has become the true Robin that they were hoping he was going to be a couple of years ago. He finally ascended. And Drew Holiday might be the best on-ball point guard defensively in the league. Uh, so all those things together, they have some shooters. Uh, I, I like Milwaukee at plus 300 to, to come out of the East. How about you? Yeah, I agree. The Bucks. I can't bet against the champs. It's like they're they're so talented. Giannis turns it up once the playoffs start. They're super deep talent at every position. They bring in backups that literally could be starting on some teams. The only reason I don't take the Celtics is because um, I I just worry about their head coach. Even though he's done a tremendous job, I still have to see how Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum play in the playoffs. Like they're playing great, but sometimes teams play really really well in the playoff in the in the regular season excuse me and then they get to the playoffs it's too much pressure for them but well, if but they I end up playing like a at lot that- of that sorry 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 to cut you off but i feel like a lot of the reason for that you see superstars who play really really well in the regular season and then don't play nearly as well a la russell westbrook type players right? a la james harden yep james and what there's a common denominator for a lot of those guys they're offensive ball centric players the celtics don't play that way. The Celtics, they, they just want to play defense. They just want to muck things up. They're a defensive squad. They have two guys that can score on anyone at any time, but they're a defense first team. And in the playoffs, we all know the game, you know, the refs swallow their whistles a bit more. The game becomes a little bit more physical. The game slows down. You don't see teams running up and down the court in the playoffs nearly as much. So I think like that style of play actually favors the Celtics over a lot of teams that we've seen in the past. However, on that point, if they end up bringing like tough physical defense, when they go against like top end uh, players like Giannis Durant, um, you know, like the refs allow only a certain 
you know, only to a point to be how physical they are because they're going to get superstar calls. That's just how it's going to happen. That's how it always is. They're going to get superstar calls regardless of how good the defense is. Ticky tack fouls every now and then, but it's going to be fun. The Eastern Conference is is legit, and they've never really been legit. But yeah, this year, what, I'd say what first time in twenty years, maybe the East is better yeah. than the West for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. Well, that's the East. Um, I mean, we can't end the show without talking about the Lakers. Um, and um, wow. <laughs> And how they're doing in the Western Conference. I'm loving it. As a Celtics fan, I'm loving it. It's not very tough in the West. Uh, Very winnable to get in. Uh, Obviously, Memphis this year is wow. Like, they're John Morant is playing at a superstar level right now. And their team is so tough and so deep. Just watching them. I mean, they're having so much fun playing together. And uh, obviously, like the Warriors, they were were playing really well. And they've kind of just... Ever since Draymond got hurt, they've just kind of fallen off. Um, it's good to see Clay back, but it's hard to bet against them. It's hard to bet against Steph Curry as well. So the West is kind of like how the West usually is, like with the same teams. But uh, we're going to focus in on the play-in with the last play-in spot, which is going to come down to the Lakers and the Spurs. I'm pretty sure the Pelicans are going to hold on to that nine seed. Like They beat the Lakers last night, which was a big game for them. So what do you think about uh, the Lakers and will they finish above the Spurs, which they're a game back? Yeah, so they're a game up. I think there's like seven games left in the season, seven or eight games left. And yet the odds are even. They're both minus 135 to claim that final play in spot. I think that speaks volumes to one, how bad the Lakers have been playing. I think they have the third worst record since the NBA All-Star break. And they just find new ways to lose seemingly every night. It doesn't matter if they're up 20, down 20. It, they, they're just not going to win the game when when the final horn goes off. Um, last night's another example of that. They led by 20 uh, against the, the Pelicans, which is a really big game for them. LeBron set a career high, hit six triples in the first half. Doesn't matter. Um, you know, and you, to me, you got to look at the schedule. The Lakers remaining have the Mavericks, the Jazz, the Pelicans, uh, the Nuggets twice, the Suns, Warriors, and the Thunder. Not in that order, but those are the teams they have left. And the Thunder are the only team with a worse record than they have, and they're 10 games under. They could lose every other game on that schedule. I don't think they will, but I think odds are they maybe win two or three at most out of all those games. Um, so let's, you know, if we give them a couple wins and then the Spurs have Houston, Memphis, Portland, twice, Denver, Minnesota, Golden State, Dallas, also a difficult schedule. Houston being the only gimme really on their sc- Oh, and Portland, I guess. Right. Yep. Portland, Portland yeah. twice. And, and they've basically shut everyone down. So they're, they're in full tank mode trying to get the, the top pick. Yep. So, so knowing that. They could easily win the three. They definitely have a slightly easier schedule, but they're a game back as well. It's going to be, it'll probably come down to the final game or two between the two teams. Um, And it's interesting that it's Coach Pop, you know, and and LeBron James, like who's not going to be in the playoffs? One of those two won't be in the playoffs. If But if I'm I'm putting money on it, I got to bet on LeBron. I I don't want to bet on LeBron, but it's 
I mean, he and the playoffs are synonymous. Like, has he ever not been in the playoffs? Like, I mean, he practically took his team to the finals so. almost 10 years in a row. Like, it's it's insane. No. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't think he's ever not been in the playoffs. So if I had to go, you know, it's it's you know, same money either way. I guess I'd lay the the money and, and bet on the Lakers. We will see. We will see how it all turns out. But um, yeah, like I definitely think that the Lakers will get the tenth spot and just barely beat out the Spurs. But um, it might be a quick exit for LA. So we will see. It's going to be the first time now that I have said on this show that I'm betting on the Lakers to claim that final spot, which means I have to root for them. It might be the very first time that I have ever rooted for the Lakers. There you go. <laughs> it will not be a first time for me. So <laughs> I think that's going to wrap it up for uh, our first episode. I hope you guys in- enjoyed the show. Uh, Jordan and I will be here every Monday breaking down lines, you know, what, what games that you know we, we really like, what we don't like, some things to avoid, uh, where some of the money's going to be. Also give you some insight like we did today on exactly why we think that is. I, I think it's really important for, for shows like this to not only let you know where the money is and where it's going, but also why that is the case and, and why we feel the way we do. And, and hopefully you guys will uh, continue to ride with us. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.